So this is our third week where we're looking at spiritual battles in the physical world. And when I was thinking about this talk today, which is about choices, I couldn't help but remember um, a little boy that I knew who used to have terrible, terrible nightmares. And he'd wake up in the middle of, his, of the night and his mum and dad could just not console him. And this went on for quite a while. And then the mum and dad came upon this idea. They said to him, why don't you, before you go to bed, put on the armour of God, which is from Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, where Paul is using a very familiar image of a Roman soldier to talk about the nature of God. And he says, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, take up the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. And for a little boy, putting on armor was lots of fun. So every night he did that. And he never had another nightmare again. Now, I can't really explain that. Maybe it was a spiritual battle and the armor that he put on protected him from having nightmares. Maybe it was the little boy's faith in God that protected him. But what I do know is that the choices that we make have significant impacts on our lives as well as the lives of others. Because those parents chose to tell the boy about the armour of God, he never had a nightmare again. And that shows the power of choices that we make. And the thing is that we make choices every day, every moment of every day. We make so many choices that we tend to forget that we are actually choosing to do something because our choices become habits. So a habit is something that we do without consciously having to think about it. And a habit comes about with practice, something that we do over and over again. And we don't have to purposefully decide to do it. So think about driving. Think about when you were learning to drive, how you had to consciously make a decision to do everything in the right order. So put the key in. Um, let's see if I can remember. <laughs> put the key in. Uh, put your foot on the brake. Take the, move the gear out of uh, park into drive. Um, is that right? <laughs> Take the handbrake off. That's right. Uh, put your blinker on, um, then slowly steer the car and put your foot on the accelerator, increasing the pressure. Now when you make a list like that, it sounds quite complicated. But I bet every one of you, when you drove here today, if you drove, you didn't go through that process. You just got in the car and you drove. Because you know how to do it, because it's a habit. And the more comfortable we get with doing something, the more automatic it becomes. And habits are very useful. So imagine if you had to think about how to put your clothes on. You know, remember when you see kids and they're concentrating on how to do their shoelaces up? They have to remember how to put it together. I'm sure none of us have that trouble with shoelaces anymore. You do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But if, if, you, if you don't have habits, then you have to think consciously. So, you know, we, we take it for granted. We have a shower, we don't think about what we have to do. We brush our teeth, we don't think about what we have to do. We have so much in our physical lives that we just do because we're used to it. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. We all have built up habits, particularly ways of thinking that are comfortable for us. And our patterns of thinking can lead us to make choices that either please God or sadden him. Now obviously a good habit is to read the Bible every day. The Bible's the word of God, it's like a fresh drink for our souls. Coming to church regularly is a very good habit and it's nice to see so many people out in the rain because it's an opportunity to share our faith and to encourage each other in our faith. But what about those habits that we have that maybe are hidden from other people that we don't like to tell people that we do, or even those habits that we have that we're not even aware of. We can have a habit, a pattern of thinking about God that stops us from experiencing everything that he wants us, wants for us. So one example is when we look at circumstances, and certainly with you know, the terrible events in, Ch in Christchurch, a lot of people are saying, why would God allow something like that to happen? When we look at, at circumstances and we use those circumstances to decide what we believe about God. Now, I've been unwell for a number of weeks and despite many people praying and asking to restore me, I'm still not fully recovered. And so it's easy for me to fall into the temptation of saying, well, God doesn't really heal, or God doesn't really heal me, or God doesn't really love me enough to heal me. And these are the types of battles in our minds that can come about from the circumstances, from our experiences that are real, but it's how we think about it that can affect how we think about God. And we see this in the Bible with Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, when he says that he pleaded with God about a problem. He had a problem, we don't know what it was. He called it the thorn in his side. He says that he petitioned God three separate times. So he went to God and he asked God to remove it and God didn't remove it. So he went back again and he went back again and if anyone knew how to pray, well, it was Paul. But the answer he got from God was, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need, which is not the answer that we want to hear sometimes. We often want God to do things our way. I certainly do. I think I have very good plans, and I think if God just followed my plans, then things would work out quite well. But if it doesn't happen the way we want it, then we can turn around and we can blame God and we can judge him, which of course is not true. And the same pattern of thinking happens in the world where people's actions are taken to reflect the nature of God. 
And we see this happening with the whole terrible abuse that has been uncovered in parts of the Christian church and the cover-up of that abuse. And people are angry about this, and rightly so. The church is meant to be a place that represents God on this earth. It's meant to be a place that's safe. It's meant to be a place of truth. And so many people now are angry at God and rejecting Jesus because of these things happening in the church. And the issue with this way of thinking is that we blame what is unthinkable behaviour. We blame it upon God. Now, we would never think of doing that to another person. We would think it unjust to blame one person for the crimes of another one. But it's so common in our pattern of thinking today that we blame God for all the bad things that are happening. Jesus said in John 11:25, when he was speaking to the woman at the well, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. This is a personal invitation and it requires a personal response. The excuse that someone else has done wrong does not come into it. Jesus asks each one of us personally to accept the gift of eternal life by believing in him. And this is the main battleground in our minds, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to believe that he died for our sins, to believe that he rose from the dead, to believe that he offers us eternal life, to believe that he wants only the best for us and that he loves us, and that with that knowledge, to live a life that pleases him. Now, I think, it's, I think it's quite common, and I would even say healthy, to have some doubts about God. It's easy to wonder about the nature of God when we see all the terrible things that happen in the world. And when we think this way, we need to realise that we have a pattern or a habit of thinking that basically assumes that God is like a puppeteer, that he is controlling every individual. Now, it is true that God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to help us to make good choices. But the Holy Spirit in the Bible is referred to as a dove, not an eagle, not a hawk, not a rowdy cockatoo, not an owl, not any powerful bird of prey that can come down and sweep up and take somebody away, but a dove. It's one of the gentlest birds in the world. Now this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not powerful. He is as powerful as God Almighty. He was hovering over the world, creating the world. He empowered people in many ways. And in Romans 8, 11, Paul says, it is the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is powerful, having life and death in his hands. But this power is used tenderly, gently, humbly. 
Because what we often fail to grasp is that God respects us and he respects our decisions, even if those decisions make him sad, even if the decisions we make will lead to a life without him, he respects that decision because he gives us a choice. So let me expand on this by starting at Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, God put many fruit trees and he put the tree of life. That meant that Adam and Eve could eat from that tree of life and live forever. They could eat from that tree whenever they wanted. But he also put another tree in the garden and he told Adam and Eve not to eat from that tree. Now, God could have put that tree outside the garden. He could have put it outside their reach so they would never eat from that tree. But he didn't. He put it in the garden. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. Because he doesn't want puppets. He doesn't want robots. He wants people who choose to be with him, to choose to have a relationship with him. And that choice is very, very important. God wants us to choose him. That's not to say that there won't be consequences for our decisions. If you put your hand in a fire, you will be burned. You have a choice and you also face the consequences. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. But God wants us to choose a life that is pleasing to him because the consequences are good for us. He wants us to choose a godly life because he gives us that ability to make that choice for ourselves. Now the story of Ruth in the Bible that we've just heard is one of a choice that a woman made and it led her to being part of the genealogy of Jesus which she could not have known at the time she made that choice. Ruth was from the Moabite tribe, which we heard last week from Caleb, uh, when the king of the Moabites was trying to get a prophet to curse the Israelites. Now the Moabites were descendants from Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, but the Moabites were often enemies and in conflict with Israel. But Ruth met and married an Israelite man who had come from his family, with his family from Bethlehem because of the drought. Her mother-in-law was Naomi, and Naomi had left her homeland with her husband and her two sons. Both the sons married Moabite women, and it's quite likely that they changed their religion from the pagan worship and became worshippers of our God. But tragedy struck the family. And firstly, Ruth's father-in-law dies. Then Ruth's husband dies and his brother dies. So Ruth finds herself in a family where all the men have died and there's no chance of having any children, which doesn't seem very important to us today, but then not having an heir to carry on the family name was really important for any man, woman or family. Now, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, hears that the drought has lifted in Bethlehem and so she decides to return to her homeland. So she sets off with both her daughters-in-law, but on the way she realises that it would be better for those women to go back to their own families. So she releases them and gives them the opportunity to go back. 
Now, the sensible choice would have been for Ruth to go back to her family. That's what Orpah decides. But Ruth chooses to stay. And you can read the rest of the story of Ruth for yourself, but ultimately it becomes the best choice that Ruth ever made in her life because she does marry again and she has a child who becomes the great-grandfather of David, the king of Jerusalem, who is, who, from whom Jesus is descended. And so Ruth is now mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Now that was a choice that she made by faith. It was a choice that was possibly a hard choice because she was going to live in enemy territory. She was going to live with people who were possibly going to be enemies with her family back in Moab. And she was possibly going to live in poverty. Yet she had faith in God and she chose to go with Naomi. She could not have understood the consequences of that decision. But look at the blessing that she received from following her faith in God. A blessing that goes on for generations and generations. So, what are some guidelines for making godly choices? I think there are two aspects to this. I think there's some guidelines before we make a choice and then after we've made a choice. So firstly, before, ask God for guidance. Now this follows on from what Caleb was saying last week, when we need to listen to God. Whose voice are we listening to? We need to make sure that we're listening to, vo to, the God, to God's voice. And maybe you hear God in the silence, or maybe when you're reading the Bible, a word just jumps out at you. Sorry. Or maybe when you're speaking to somebody, something that they say just seems to resonate within you, or maybe you get a feeling, or maybe you have a conviction. They're all different ways that God can speak to us. But asking for guidance is not just about the big decisions in our lives, it's about everyday life. We need to ask God to guide us daily in what we say, in how we act, in what we do, and particularly in the thoughts that we have. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 19 that we need to take every thought captive, which means don't let those automatic habitual ways of thinking dictate how we behave. We can ask God to help us be aware of any unhelpful patterns that we have that are drawing us away from him instead of drawing us to him. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. Those strongholds of human reasoning are the patterns of thinking that we have that have become bad habits. And we think about situations in a certain way without really choosing to do it. But God wants us to have the freedom to choose. So we need to recognize these patterns, capture these ways of thinking, and bring them into alignment with the truth of Jesus. 
Secondly, we need to pray continually. Paul says this in his first letter to Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 17. He's giving some final instructions to his church and he says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Never stop praying or pray without ceasing means that we are to be mindful of God's presence in our lives. Now, this might seem impossible. How can you pray without ceasing? But we can start by creating some good habits to aim that will help us to be mindful of God's presence in our lives. So any time through the day, as you walk to the car, as you wait for the train, as you walk to the office, or as you're driving, as you go to the shops, or you wait in line at the checkout, or as you brush your teeth, that's an opportunity to pray. And it can be as simple as, thank you, God, or help me, or help my friend. And if we can capture these little moments in the day, we start to create a habit where we are thinking about God all the time and we start to learn to pray continuously. Another good idea comes from Bill Johnson, who's a pastor in Bethel Church in California. And he has a talk where he suggests that we imagine that the Holy Spirit is like a dove sitting on our shoulder. And so everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit is with us, encouraging us, directing us, correcting us. And imagining that we have a dove on our shoulder helps us to be aware of God's presence in our lives. And it's this constant attention to the presence of God that will accumulate and become a good habit. And when I was thinking about this, I saw this sand dune, this picture of a sand dune which, under the power of the wind, completely enveloped an oasis and it suffocated it. And that sand dune is made up of tiny specks of sand which have absolutely no power on their own. But together, there is huge power in that sand dune. And that's the same for us. Those tiny specks of little habits that we start to make they become very powerful as they accumulate in our lives. The second stage is after we've made a choice. And well, maybe we realise that it wasn't the best choice after all. It's not the end. God doesn't leave us in that state. We're not doomed to make more bad choices because Jesus has given us a way out. So when we realise that we've been behaving or thinking in a way that's not godly, then we simply confess it. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess to one another. We're not perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. And this is the way that God has given us to have freedom from those mistakes by confessing them and to be able to grab back our choice in a situation so it doesn't become a habit, a bad habit. And then after we've confessed, we need to repent, which means turning our backs on what we've done, on saying that 
We don't want to do that anymore. We want to go in completely the other opposite direction. So we say to God, I'm sorry, I messed up. But God, I want to change the way I do that next time. I repent and I ask you to give me a new way of acting and a new way of thinking. So to finish, the choices that we make, they have much more significant consequences than we can imagine. Not just for ourselves, but for the people around us and also for future generations. So we need to be aware of any habits, particularly patterns of thinking that are ungodly. Because this is a spiritual battle in our minds. And we can fight this battle by making good choices, by building up habits of seeking God daily, moment by moment, and being aware of God in every part of our lives. So I want to come into a time of prayer now and do a bit of, bit of spiritual cleaning, I suppose. And I want you to use this time as I, as I lead you in the prayer to ask God, what strongholds of human reasoning do you have? What patterns of thinking do you have in your mind that are leading you away from God rather than towards God? It may be something that you're aware of. It could be, like me, a tendency to blame God in all circumstances. It could be that you'll find yourself getting angry and behaving in ways that you then regret. Or you might find that you are critical of others. Or maybe you want to please people and get approval from others. I don't know what it is, and it'll be different for each one of us, but God knows. He knows what that stronghold is, and he wants to break that down in us so that we can experience everything that he has to offer. So as I lead you in the prayer, ask God what it might be, and then I'll pray to remove it. Lord God, we humbly come before you. I ask you to open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, to any strongholds that we have any patterns of thinking that give us a distorted understanding of you, any habits that are leading us away from you, Lord, show them to us now. Lord God, we ask that you demolish those strongholds. We renounce the strongholds in Jesus' name. And we ask that you renew our minds with your word, with your love, with your presence. Lord, prompt us to seek your guidance in every moment of our lives. Prompt us to create new godly habits of seeking you, praying to you, confessing when we've made a bad choice, and help us to choose a life that pleases you. Lord, we need you. Help us to choose you. Amen.